You are listening to a Laison Lumineur podcast. Hello, this is Sandra Hindman, founder and president of Laison Lumineur. We specialize in manuscripts, miniatures, historic jewelry, and other small-scale works of art from the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. This occasional series records our lectures and gallery talks, insights from new publications, and interviews with collectors and scholars. Our aim is to offer an ever-wider public tools for learning about the diversity of our activities and the breadth of our interests. Welcome, and please enjoy today's podcast. This is Sandra Hindman, and I am here for a podcast with two participants, with Federica Toniolo, who I'm talking to from Chicago to Padova. Hi, Federica. Gaudens. Hi, Sandra. Hi, Gaudens. And Gaudens Freuler, who is with me here from Zurich. Hello to both of you. We have come together to do a kind of soft book launch by podcast for the newly published catalog called the Burke Collection of Italian Manuscript Paintings. And Federica and I were the co-editors of it with 17 authors. And among the authors was Gaudens Freuler, who has joined us today for that reason, and also because he was critical as a kind of consultant on the catalog, as Federica and I worked hours and hours and hours on Zoom almost a year ago doing it. So I wanted to give a very brief background. You know the title of the book already. It's published by Paul Halberton in London. It contains 42 miniatures, Federica will talk a little about that, by 17 different authors, plus a little background on Bob Burke and his collecting and desire for a catalog. And maybe I'll just say that I've known Bob for almost 25 years, and for a long time he's wanted a catalog. And we've talked off and on about what it should be like. And finally, he gave basically Federica and me full reign to do it as we saw fit. So, Federica, I wanted to turn it over to you a little. You came into this. You haven't known Bob for 25 years like I have. But you came into this about a year and a half ago. So tell me a little about your involvement. Yes, uh, I was in Stanford in September 2019, where I saw for the first time the collection with a guide, a special guide, Bob Book. And I was really astonished for the wonderful collection that is really important for uh, Italian painting, because uh, this collection as you told, uh, 42 pieces, but also two manuscripts, make us uh, an history of Italian illumination. Because you pass through four centuries. You start uh, with the Gabbiana Master, that is uh, the end of 12th century, and after 
you have you arrive to 16th century Michelangelo and Raffaello with the sample of leaf, a wonderful leaf close to Clovio. And uh, especially the 13th and 14th century are well documented and also Renaissance. In particular, Florence and Siena, Tuscany, but also other regions are represented. And uh, for this reason, we choose uh, to divide the catalog uh, just with Italy maps uh, in which you find uh, all the regions uh, and so uh, the reader can be uh, acquired of the important schools uh, that are in, at that moment uh, in Italy. And uh, the second characteristic, I think, uh, about this collection that also Bob and Catherine explain in the foreword of the book is that these paintings still reveals to us the context of ritual, music and symbolism in which they were created. It is like if we could jump in medieval and Renaissance visual culture. This is also because uh, war books uh, are manuscripts in which text, music and images uh, are really linked to each other. And I think uh, our books uh, makes the reader able to understand this, not only for the text of the entries, but also for the wonderful images of our catalogs that are really uh, well done and you have a lot of uh, particulars that uh, make uh, the reader acquire of the collection. Yes, it is um, really extensively illustrated. I think we started with asking um, each author for six comparative, four to six comparative pictures, but in many cases there are many, many more. And Gaudens, you said something to me. We've talked several times about what you think is one of the most important aspects of this catalog because you yourself have been involved in in several other um, catalogs of manuscript paintings. How do you think this one differs and is unique? Well, it, it differs uh, somehow to previous projects. Uh, just to remember the Jane Miles uh, collection, which is more modest catalog, or the two-volume catalog I wrote on the Italian miniatures and the Milanese uh, collection, and uh, also, obviously, the Genie collection, which Federica and Massimo Medica did with also a collective of uh, art historians. I think this book has come out in a more lush editorial vest, let's say. And we also focused very much on the context of illuminators within the monumental painting, panel painters and fresco painters. And this is also uh, uh, quite visible with our comparative material. Uh, just uh, uh, for instance, the, the wonderful St. Peter by Litovani, who is based on the same model by Litovani in the miniature uh, in the Burr collection. And um, I think it's quite an apt uh, title to uh, have given the Burr collection of Italian manuscript 
paintings because in most in many cases illuminators are uh, also very much uh, active and perhaps even better known as panel and fresco painters, which is the case, for instance, at the, the, for Lipovani, which, uh, who I already mentioned, and uh, many other painters, <laughs> such as Lorenzo Monaco, who was a splendid uh, panel painter and fresco, fresco painter, and so on. Yes, um, um, yes, I think it, what you brought up is really important because so many catalogs are called collection of illuminations or single leaves and cuttings or miniatures. Mm -hmm. And the title was really a very conscious choice on our part. Anyway, go ahead, Gaudens. You were talking about illuminators well, I, or I painters. This is, this, is, this is a very uh, important fact. Uh, uh, another aspect which uh, uh, kind of uh, I was amused uh, when I read the review on my catalog I did on the Italian section of the Robert McCarthy collection. When he uh, wrote, we are living in a golden age of lavish print publication dedicated to privately formed collections of manuscript fragments. And then um, Nicholas uh, continued to bring up various reasons why this is so, you know. And uh, I don't want to go uh, all in details. But he said one reason of this current rebirth of printed collection catalogs is prosaic the advent of widespread digital uh, photography. This is obviously um, a very important uh, factor that uh, enables us to get uh, um, access, visual access to uh, much more cuttings and leaves and, 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 and so on, which is important for us to make uh, one task which is uh, uh, central. We try to virtually reconstruct all these uh, mutilated or uh, broken up uh, choir books. And obviously this helped a lot and this also helped a lot that uh, in a reasonable time we were able to do such, uh, such catalogs. Uh, what I kind of uh, found uh, interesting in this uh, review was the, the last sentence, which I kind of uh, <laughs> changed a little bit, where he wrote, one hopes that collections such as, the, in this case, the Bob McCarthy collection and uh, others, may someday be honored through an equally erudite and authoritative and more flexible web-based digital platform. This kind of uh, made me a little bit, mm, uh, <laughs> let me perplex, because I think there's a big uh, difference between a printed book and the uh, web platforms, which are highly important, because in a book we are able to put these wonderful pieces, uh, cuttings and leaves, in a much more in-depth context within painting. And that's why I think the, the title of uh, Italian manuscript paintings is completely correct. In a digitalized platform, you can't do what we have done. I mean, there is one example with Andrea Di Bartolo. There's wonderful image of Andrea Di Bartolo, the, the cutting with Christ between the four um, in glory, together with the uh, symbols of evangelists. I mean, if you look at this uh, miniature uh, and enlarge it, 
then you could see fresco in the vault of the chapel, such as Andrea di Bartolo's father, Bartolo di Freddi, had painted in about the same time in the Palazzo Pubblico in Siena. So you really have to examine these illuminations in the context of monumental painting and vice versa. <laughs> right, right. And I think yes. like almost... Sandra? Yes, Federica, please. Yes, I would like to say another thing. For example, we have a page that is dedicated to a Lombard master, Master P.F., in which you see this with the Virgin and Child, with the Infant St. John and the Angel, and there is the comparison with Virgin of the Rocks of Leonardo da Vinci. And this is really astonishing, because you can... Uh, it's different from the website. You can uh, take your time and look at it, uh, and it results uh, very, very convenient, I think. <laughs> I really uh, think that to see these images in the book is different from the website. Well, I think, you know, we're, we're all academics, and we're all of a certain generation where actual paper publications are important, but I think we would all agree that, you know, I'm sitting here in a library f surrounded by books. I think we would all agree that there will remain a place for paper publications. <laughs> I mean, we haven't yet said, and I, you know, I've probably come back to this, Paul Halberton in London did a really superior job with this book. The image, it was printed in Verona. The images are very, very high quality. They did exceptional color correction. And I think Gaudens already used the word lush. It is a lavish and a lush production, which the collection, in my opinion, merits as well. Um, Gaudens, you, yes, think, go ahead. Sorry, uh, I think Popper collection is of outstanding quality, be it in the conservation of the pieces, be it in the choice. It's a, it's a very intelligent choice. Uh, for instance, this, the, the sequence we have of the protagonist uh, of, some, uh, of illuminators active within the circle or within Santa Maria degli Angeli, the Camilla de Lis, uh, Monastery in Florence. This, uh, this, it gives you a real high standard view of the development of uh, illumination in Florence in the years between 1370 and up to, to the Renaissance uh, to uh, Frangelico. And the same thing is true for, for Siena. I mean, we have Andrea Di Bartolo's initial uh, for the Lecceto, um, Giovanni Di Paolo. And then we have the Giovanni Di Paolo. And thanks to uh, the instruments we have of a digital platform and so, and so on, I mean, to compare the, these leaves with other leaves from, obviously also through the books, but with leaves from Lecceto, and it was able to uh, partially reconstruct then a sequenziario, which we weren't aware of from uh, this important Augustinian eremon. Yeah, I guess there we've touched on two features. We've touched on the relationship of so many of these painters to monumental painting, and some of them were um, panel painters and fresco painters themselves. And we've touched on 
the really extensive work that the catalog entries do in terms of reconstructing the what we might call parent manuscript or the set of choir books from which they come. I think those are two features that are really outstanding in the book. I wondered, um, Gaudens, you just mentioned Florence and Siena. I mean, there's so many high spots in the catalog, starting with that incredible crucifixion that's been exhibited all over the world by the master of San Francesco. But do you think maybe the, the really the strongest part of the collection is Florence and Siena? You know, uh, I I think I think so. But on the other hand, there are really highlights also from the other from the other regions of the production of, of illuminated manuscripts. Maybe the the section of the Emilia isn't that strong as the uh, Bologna and so would merit, but it, it's there and with very with very good examples. And I think was for me. To, thanks to other fragments to show uh, traces of lost choir book by uh, no uh, like uh, Tommaso da Modena, uh, who's an outstanding panel painter and fresco painter. And it was a nice result. And basically, it's only possible through the knowledge of other cuttings which clearly belong together. And and so I think the, the reconstruction is a very important factor. And that's what we also do as, as scholars in, in, in panel painting at the 14th, 15th century. I mean, these... Uh, Huge altar pieces have been uh, dismantled and and sold as single pieces. The same thing happened with uh, unfortunately uh, happened uh, with the uh, with the books, with the manuscripts, and we're here to try to put the, the pieces together again and have a more positive idea of the original book. Yeah, I'm or so glad. Yeah, virtually. I'm huh? so glad you brought that up because people often think, oh, these manuscripts that have been cut apart we're just seeing a fragment and they rarely realize that panel you might have for a panel painting just a predella or a fragment of a fresco or a wing and that you're quite right that the dismemberment of panel paintings is the equivalent in a way as the dismemberment of choir books and not often realized or compared I wonder if we, if it you would, know, Sandra, yeah. Federica, Sandra, I think that they are movable treasure, and for this, they were dismounted. The panel paintings, you mean, or both? Yes, 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 both, both, also choir books. <laughs> they were used on the choir, but also put in the store and after. And the same uh, when the collector starts uh, one Italian paintings, and the same uh, happened with manuscripts. And so movable treasure <laughs> yeah. needs to be reconstructed. <laughs> of course, the difference, yeah, though... I agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the difference, though, is, of course, the manuscript painting is taken out of a context where there's also text text usually and what's what's said for the most part is that 
once the monasteries are dissolved and they no longer needed the text to sing from, the paintings were considered paintings and um, were self-standing and taken out, which is not the case with panel paintings. Um, there is no text. They're dismembered for other reasons. Right, Gaudens? Yes. You see, if we want to understand a program, because we don't want to just do attribution and uh, and debating the things, you know, just basic things of, of art history, we want to know what was the function in painting. And you only can guess if you know the whole program of an altarpiece or, or a fresco cycle. There we can't reconstruct what is gone is gone. But just to say, it is important to have as many uh, fragments of a, of a mutilated uh, choir book as possible. I mean, I'm not, at the moment I'm, I'm working on a, on a, on a series of uh, Swiss cuttings from uh, about 1300. And if I didn't know a piece in, in Washington, I couldn't give any good reasons for the provenance and at the, at the, at the end the the meaning of the iconography, which is, uh, you will see when it's published, it's, it's a very uh, fascinating thing. And that's what we're doing. Oh, uh, you know, Federica and all our uh, colleagues, and you and myself. Yeah. And this I... is also uh, the rewarding uh, aspect of, of doing the research, not just to be able to date a, a particular uh, miniature to say, well, it has been done there in 4020 and it was perhaps sanguine. Oh, no, I think it's uh, it's the other one, it's the uh, Tanobistrazzi and so on. Uh, this is just the basic stuff to go on and, and, and find other things which perhaps more important on the, the, the line of a cultural history. Yeah, and by, I think Bob yes. Burke's catalog, what Federica started by saying there's the liturgy, the paleography, the music, the context. I think Bob Burke's catalog mm -hmm. provided all the authors with a platform to pursue these manuscript illuminations, these paintings in this larger context. We probably all have favorites, and I, I think if we asked Bob, he might, we, which we may get another opportunity to do, he might tell us his favorite. My favorite I chose, uh, partly of course with everyone's consent, including Bob and Kathy's, I chose for the cover of the catalog, which is this extraordinary miniature you've already mentioned twice, Zanobi Strozzi and Frangelico. I wonder if we could maybe talk a little about some specific highlights. I think Gaudens, you are the author of the entry on the cover miniature where we have a detail of the children of the world against sparkling gold ground um, and blues. Do you want to talk about what, what you think its importance is to this collection of 42 miniatures? Uh, this one here is obviously, as we can say, a highlight of the uh, illumination in the circle or within Santa Maria degli Angeli, because it comes from a choir book from this monastery, and it has a long tradition of outstanding uh, choir books by the most celebrated uh, illuminators in Florence. I mean, to begin with, with Don Silvestro Gerarducci and then uh, Lorenzo Monaco, who actually, actually uh, started off with the illumination of this particular choir book. He is, did the, a large part of the illumination. It's still in the band Corale 3 in the Laurentiana. 
and for unknown reason he didn't finish it and then probably uh, quite logically it was continued by a collective of illuminators uh, from the workshop of uh, Frangelico. But I think, I'm not sure whether they were actually within the workshop of Frangelico, but they worked for him and with him, and not only for this uh, wonderful initial, which is overgrown with multicolored foliage and red, green, and blue, and so on, sparkling gold. Uh, this is, is, is really a very interesting uh, miniature, not only because it's aesthetically beautiful and done probably by uh, a group of uh, illuminators that gathered around Frangelico. It, it has a parallel, and, and that's helped to, I think, correctly assign it to, to Zanobi Strozzi, because I think it was a parallel case to a contemporary um, project of Frangelico and his collaborator, which we know actually were uh, friends with Frangelico. And this is the, the first cycle in the Abadia Fiorentina, in the Chioso degli Aranci. The same people, Zenobi Strozzi and Sanguini and Frangelico himself, collaborated and, and painted this wonderful uh, fresco cycle. And the same thing happened here. So we really, with this illumination, we have reached a height of, uh, of Florentine illumination in the ambiente of uh, Santa Maria de Angeli. Right, and yeah. that it, it was him uh, to, to, to continue the work of uh, Lorenzo Monaco is quite uh, logic because probably Sanguini and these people came out of Bottega of Lorenzo Monaco and, and, and this uh, unders it, it, and this uh-huh. underscores yet again the connection between painting monumental painting and manuscript illumination. In fact, one might say you can't really study monumental painting without studying manuscript illumination during this period. I think... And vice versa. Precisely this example uh, is is such a case. I mean, if you look at the companion pieces of these and other leaves of the Corale three, you see a framing device which corresponds completely with uh, with fresco frames. I mean, you know, there there's a cosmetic pattern uh, frame and quarterfoils with heads, busts of figures in, inserted. This is what we see in the in in, in the late Trecento, um, even earlier Trecento, the whole Trecento painting, and also in the early Quattrocento painting. So uh, you can't you can't study these miniatures if you don't know the way of panel painting and fresco painting. Yeah, the same is maybe not the case. I don't know, Federica. I'd be interested in your opinion. Maybe (laughs) it's not the same for Venice, which is one of your specialties, and you were the author authoress of the of two of the entries on just a spectacular venetian painter illuminator cristoforo cortesi would you like to talk a little about cortesi um another highlight i think of the collection i think you would agree yes the 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 first piece is uh, maybe my favorite is the one with uh, the this big uh, initial d with the Christ and throne that is uh, in the upper register of the letter and in the lower you can see King David with the Psalter. 
close to him woman, nun, that is praying, that is the patron of the, the leaf, is a Dominican nun and was a guidance, I think, in 2000 to understand, understood that this leaf comes from the monastery of Corpus Domini in Venice. That was a Dominican monastery of nuns, women, that is now no more existing because in the same place now there is the, the railway station in Venice. <laughs> and this monastery was really important. And the leaf is astonished because the letter is made by leaves, pink, uh, orange, blue, with a lot of color, a lot of gold leaves <laughs> also, flowers, and a dragonfly, and also a center. It's incredibly rich. And big. The style and big also, 254 millimeters for 172, so a big piece. We have also um, a symbol of the Corpus Domini, a church with a white host that uh, make us sure for the provenance. But uh, the style is also really, uh, I don't know if we have similar, I think we can compare with some panel painting by Zanino Di Pietro, for example, that are now in the Academia in Venice. So we have some comparison. We also know that Cortese was a painter. But maybe for Venice and for Cortese is different from the Florentine master, I think, because the richness of these leaves are particularly for manuscripts, I think. I don't know if I can say this. But the important thing is also that we have like a sort of 19 other pieces from this big antiphonary. And this is important. There are some in England, some in the United States, for example. Two pieces from this leaf are now in Metropolitan Museum in New York. And another one that I love is in Tree Library with some Dominic and surrounded by Dominican nuns. And so uh, this makes us understand the quality of this choir book and painting. The other leaves from Cortese is uh, instead a leaf uh, with the ascension of Christ in a letter B. And also here we have Christ and all the apostles and Virgin inside this incredibly well done letter with foliage with a lot of yakka, white color that makes soft the leaves, the letter. And also a freeze with uh, a guinea fall, an eagle, two angels, a rat, two saints, St. Benedict, for example, and probably Santa Giustina. And for this, we can suppose that the leaves was part of choir books in uh, maybe uh, in Padua, Santa Giustina Monastery that we already have. And so 
I think this master is really also close, uh, for example, to Giambono, the Cappella di Mascoli in uh, San Marco, uh, Venice, and he also is close to Zanino di Pietro painting, uh, so also for Venice we can find some comparisons. Yeah, I think that one of the things Federica has brought up, and she mentioned the Metropolitan Museum miniatures, I just wanted to go back to that because I think what's so extraordinary is there's this golden web-like um, uh, border, it looks like, for the principal miniature, the miniature that's in the Bob Burke collection, and those web-like gold filigree occurs on the two metropolitan leaves where they are two angels. So uh, it's just exquisite um, aesthetically. But one of the points Federica brought up needs to be underscored, which is this is a museum quality collection. And the fact that there are so many sister leaves, that is leaves from the same manuscript in really important collections and They've been there for a long time. The Lorenzo Monacos were cut out of the choir books before they went to the Lorenziana in the early 1800s. Um, Robert Lehman, who collected the leaves in the Metropolitan, bought in the teens and 20s of the 20th century. So I think as one goes through the Burke catalog and sees Sister Leaves in Paris and Berlin and the Victorian Albert Museum in the Getty, etc., etc. It's very, to my mind, very impressive and a sort of measure of the quality and merit of his choices. I think this could be also a useful book for students because we are trying to. Um, make them understand how you have to do research on this. <laughs> and uh, I am sure that it will be very useful also for university scholars generally, but also, I hope, uh, future generations. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Gaudens, I interrupted you. You started to say something. No, you didn't, you didn't interrupt me. No, but I, I, it, it is one of the most stunning, perhaps not the largest, but a big collection with absolutely top quality items, which really give you uh, the joy, you know, and then <laughs> you really uh, get back to, to, to Dante's Riedel le carte. I mean, you know, if you look at, at these things, I don't know how you can't love these little images with a huge monumental uh, effect, you know, despite they're small, they're monumental. As I said, they could be transposed into a fresco. And uh, this quality is just wonderful. And uh, I, I just, <laughs> I never would have thought when uh, I walked through the streets of Florence with uh, <laughs> Paul Burke uh, way back in the 90s that one day I would collaborate on the catalog of his collection, which then was still uh, at the beginning. I mean, we were uh, looking at a, a panel by. Uh, Organia and uh, enjoyed ourselves. You, you know, just to look at these things uh, tremendously, and now so many years back, you know, a quarter of a century, uh, right? We achieved something nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is quite an achievement. But I think you saw. Didn't you go to San Francisco too and see them? I can't remember. 
Yeah, I've seen them. Uh, I think uh, I've I've seen the collection twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the last time was uh, I think. Oh my God, it's already five five years back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I and wanted, it was always a joy to be there. <laughs> right. I wanted to say a few words. Um, I, I worked with Gaudens on one of the very early miniatures, again, bringing up the same point about the relationship to, um, to panel painting. And that was a, an artist, as it were, we've called the workshop of Chimabue, two different masters. It's not exactly certain whether they are one of them is Grifo di Tancredi or not. But the miniature in the Burke collection, again, has sister leaves in many other museums and collections. And it's a very moving miniature of a virgin orance, that is a virgin standing with her hands in prayer on a full leaf from a from a gradual that is a choir book for the mass partly with Gowden's help on this entry we were able to relate this to a panel painting that's on a box that's in the Alana collection to other fresco paintings and to Chimabui's contribution in the church of Assisi so here again in a different part of the world. This is not, um, this is Florence, but early, I mean, before the Scuola degli Angeli, we have another important illuminator who really can't be studied without studying the panel paintings and vice versa. I don't know, Gavin. And frescoes, I mean. Yes, frescoes. Uh, yeah. I mean, when I, when, I, when I kind of pinpointed this artist, uh, when I did the, the catalog for the Milanese collection, and I, I've seen the companion leaves, you know, with the, the birth of St. John uh, and the birth of the Virgin, both um, images, uh, miniatures are in the, in the catalog illustrated. I immediately, you know, associated with, uh, with Cimabue. This is probably an important witnesses the uh, the importance of uh, of Chimabue also for uh, illumination, which is a factor which has hasn't been really touched in the past years. And, and uh, thanks to these reconstructions, we have uh, also there uh, a clear idea about these early uh, early miniatures. Um, also, the master uh, of San Francesco, right? Uh, here's an artist who is only known in one illumination. The rest of his work is panel painting. Yeah, 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 and, and, and fresco painting, obviously. But uh, it's also interesting, you know, one also could juxtapose St. Michael uh, from the uh, Assisi Choir book, which is uh, catalog number two. One could juxtapose this one together with this Florentine, early Florentine illuminator in the, the close area of Cimabue. Mm-hmm. And so one sees what really happens there in the 12, uh, 12th, 1290s, just in the wake of Giotto's uh, frescoes and, uh, in, in Assisi, the earliest ones. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, quite, it's really, you have a huge panorama of Italian painting from the late 12th century up, uh, as, as Federica said, to, to Claudio, which is, which is absolutely fantastic. And the super uh, initial by Don Simone Camaldolese, and this is also interesting. It's probably one of the largest miniatures, something like 37 centimeters. Or it's whatever. enormous. It's huge. Yeah. 
Yes. It's enormous. The back this cover. Is, is, yeah. And this is, this is really uh, fascinating because Lorenzo Monaco probably uh, was trained as illuminator with Don Simone. And in this case, it is just in his late years, and you know, in, in the uh, first decade of the 15th century, that Don Simone himself now goes back to Lorenzo Monaco, whom he trained. I mean, uh, if you look at the comparisons I did, you can see that uh, that he's the first time that we see that he was completely aware of the uh, achievement of a high golf buried in, uh, in in Lorenzo Monaco that starts in the, the first years of the 15th century. It does it is. It's just, again, just to bear witness of the quality and the intelligence of collection, uh, collectionism of, uh, you know, the sensibility for these things Bob Burke showed us. With his and you know, um, although I've known Bob Burke for 25 years and or more, and, you know, he bought many of his miniatures from me, but certainly not all. I must say he was his own person as a collector. Nobody told Bob what to buy. He picked and chose himself. This is not a curated collection from outside. This is curated by Bob Burke, which I think is extraordinary, too, um, and speaks to the quality of his eye and his collecting and condition. I mean, it's been mentioned several times, but this Don Simone is just in sparkling, fresh condition. It's so big, and it looks like it was painted yesterday. Um, it's really incredible. May I see also one word about it? The two manuscripts that are also really important, the antiphonal from Santa Maria Sopra Porta and also Domenico Cavalca, Lo Specchio della Croce, with the legend of St. John the Baptist. They are really incredibly. Also, the binding is still well conserved. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And it, it's also also there with the the, the Santa Maria Sotto Porta choir book. Uh, it, yet again, it is wonderfully embedded in the other uh, initial in the, in, the, in the same cultural ambiente. You know, you can you can see that there's uh, again this Santa Maria degli Angeli uh, tradition, which is followed there, similar as with the Zanobi Strozzi. We see there a style in the figures which derives from Frangelico and also Masaccio. If you look at the Godfather, you know, the accepts the soul of, of David. If, if you look at this Godfather, you know, the model, uh, in my opinion, the figure is the saints of Masaccio. So it's a very, very good example of Florentine painting and illumination. And it's great to have a full yeah. choir Right, right. We've said some, we've talked mostly about the miniatures that we are the manuscript paintings, let's call them, that we worked on. But I think it, it needs to be said that this catalog comes together um, in part thanks to the extraordinary high quality of the many different scholars who contributed to it. I mean, there were 17 different scholars, each experts in their field, in Italy, in the United Kingdom, 
them in America. It's rare, I think, to have so many different authors and such a consistent perspective on the treatment of the manuscript paintings. So I wanted to say that, and I also wanted, in conclusion, to just stress again the high quality of the production. I think that the book is, and I hope it's now available for distribution finally in warehouses in the United States. It can be, it's distributed in America by the University of Chicago Press. Paul Alberton has a website. Um, the miniatures we haven't yet said are on deposit at Stanford University. And there is a website for the miniatures where you can blow them up like hundreds of times their size and use those digital images as a complement to the catalog. So um, I don't know, unless um, Gaudens and Federica, do you have a few last comments in conclusion? No, in conclusion, I just wanted to thank that I was privileged to work together with you and with all my very good colleagues, uh, outstanding scholars, which were part of this project. It was really a great experience. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Gaudens. And Federica, thank you so much. I couldn't have done anything without you. We need to do another <laughs> catalog. <me> <laughs> And me without you was a really important collaboration and also I thank Gaudens and I thank Bob and Kathleen for being with us in this project and also all the colleagues that make this possible and Paul Albert and all people that give us a suggestion, idea and we was and he are very important for me to work with you. It was truly a collaboration, and thank you especially to Bob Burke for having formed such a great collection. Well, uh, that concludes this podcast. Thank you, Gaudens, Freuler, very much. Thank you, Federica. Please go to the website for Paul Halberton or University of Chicago and take a look at the book, too. Thank you. Goodbye. This has been a Laison Luminier podcast. Please check us out on the web at laisonluminier.com and on our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We continue to update our content on a regular basis. We would like to wish you all a happy and healthy 2021.